Anyway, yes, it's coming up, so we would love for you to do it. Hey, we are in week 11. Uh, seems crazy to me that it's already week 11 as we journey through Revelation, and there is zero doubt that this is the most misunderstood and misinterpreted book of the Bible. Um, so what I've been trying to do throughout the series is uh, teach the text, but before I teach the text, step away from the text and just talk for a few minutes about how we are to approach the book of Revelation if we want to get the most out of it, if we want to be able to make some application and apply it into our current situation. So let me recap some of what I've already said. Uh, We need to understand that Revelation is apocalyptic literature, and there's lots written about what apocalyptic literature is and what it isn't. But the main thing that you need to hold on to is that it's a vision. uh, We don't know if the person given the vision when we read apocalyptic literature, if they're uh, in in a dream state or if they're taken up. That doesn't really matter, but it's a vision, and there's use of images and metaphors that are used to convey a truth or a reality. But the images are simply that. They are metaphors to convey some type of of meaning. And this really isn't that uncommon in the scriptures. When we uh, read the scriptures and we read about a dream, we wouldn't take those dreams literally. We would understand that the dreams represent something that's going to happen. It's also true of the other apocalyptic moments in scripture. So you remember the book of Daniel, especially the second half of Daniel is very apocalyptic, but Daniel has a vision. And he even says whether he's sleeping or not, doesn't matter, but he has a vision and he sees four beasts coming up out of the oceans and he describes each of the beasts differently. Now, the beauty of this book is he actually gets a translation as well. And each of those beasts, while he describes them and all of their form and and how they each look different, what we know to be true is those beasts represented the different major empires that would come and go. So one was the Babylonian empire, one was the Persian empire, one was the, the Greeks, and then the last one was the Roman empire. So they weren't actual beasts, they were empire. So it's just good for us to hold on to that, that it's images and not meant to be read as, as literal. They're there to convey a meaning. And the other part of that that we need to understand is that the same is true for the majority of the numbers that we read in Revelation. They're not meant to be read in a static uh, just this number means what this number is saying. That's, the numbers are used, again, to convey a meaning. So, for instance, when we see the number 144,000 in chapter 7, where it's talking about the number of Israelites that are going to come into the kingdom, it's not meant to be 144,000, literally. It's not like Jesus or God is in heaven with one of those little thumb clickers. Three, six, seven... Okay, 144, now I can come back. That's not the point. The point is that he's not going to come back until all of the chosen, all of those who are predestined to come into the kingdom have made their way into the kingdom. So we have to be careful when we read a thousand years or seven years or three and a half years, not to see those as static, literal numbers. It's also critical for our understanding of revelations to not see it as some kind of almanac or timeline. I tried desperately uh, to create some slides to represent this, and I couldn't do it. So I'm going to draw on the whiteboard today, which I almost never do. But if we're not careful, we approach Revelation in a very Western sort of way. So we read it, and we have the, the letters at the beginning, and then we have all these events leading up to the second coming, right? And so we read it, and we read about 
which we did already, the seals. And we're like, okay, there's seven seals. And then there's seven trumpets. And then there's, I know there's not seven there, seven bowls, right? And we read it this way as if all of these events have to happen before the second coming. The problem is, if you read it that way, you get confused because the second coming appears here and it appears here and it appears here. And so it's hard to figure out what the author is doing. So a better way for you to approach the letter of Revelation is to see we do have the letters and then we have events taking place. We have the seals being broken. And then it's sort of like inspired by the Holy Spirit. The author, John, says, let me tell you a different way to see it. Right? And, and he's going back and he's explaining the same events using different images and metaphors. So then we have the trumpets blowing. Right? And then he says, okay, let me, let me take one more stab at it. And he comes back and now he's going to talk about the bowls, which we haven't got to yet. Right? Now, the problem is, it's not really like this either. You're like, boy, you're confusing me, Pastor Doug. I know that. That's why I couldn't make a slide. It's really more like we have the letters, and then we have A and B and C and D, and those events aren't, this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. They're happening, and they're happening on top of each other. And so all of these, and what we do know is they're all leading up to the second coming, that hasn't happened yet. And we're going to see that a little bit more today. So we have all these events. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is don't think Western linear timeline when you're reading, because it will get confusing. Because you're going to be like, I, th- I thought he already came. Why is he coming again? There isn't a third second coming and a fourth second coming. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? All right. So make sense? All right. It's very claustrophobic with this there. All right, a little bit more I want to touch on. Remember, it's apocalyptic, um, series of metaphors explaining the same events. And the last important uh, observation is that Revelation was written to seven actual churches. We know these churches existed. They're historical churches. We know about the churches. So it was written to seven churches that existed, and they were supposed to receive the letter interpret the letter, and apply the letter to their own circumstances at that time. And what we know to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt is that when the first century church read the letter to Revelation, the beast was the Roman Empire, right? So when they read it, they're applying this, the beast and all that's going on with the beast to their current circumstance, saying this is the Roman Empire. So much so that as they understood Revelation and learned Revelation, and then series of events would come when, you remember Nero, the emperor? You know, some of you know a song about him. But anyway, Nero, he is uh, ostracized, if you will, from the, 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 the courts, and, and he runs, and he commits suicide. He commits suicide by stabbing himself in the neck. And so the people, excuse me, believed that when Nero died, the Roman Empire would fall. Right, And so they began to say that the head of the Roman Empire has fallen. How can Rome survive? But the truth is, Rome comes back even stronger. Right, And so the people who understood Revelation would have immediately realized that this is like Revelation 13.4. Let me read it for you. It says, And they, the people in Rome, worshipped the dragon, Satan, 
For Satan had given his authority to the beast, the Roman Empire, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Even when it takes a blow to the head, it comes back even stronger and more oppressive. So they're applying their current circumstances to the book of Revelation. Last week, Bryce did a great job, but he talked about the trumpets. And remember when each trumpet would blow, uh, catechismic things would happen and, and there was natural disasters and there was disease. And, and remember the mountain falls into the sea. Now imagine you've read Revelation. You live in the first century. You've read all of these predictions of what's going to happen when the trumpet blows. And then this volcano erupts called Mount Vesuvius. And many of you know the history and know what Mount Vesuvius is, but imagine when it erupts, literally it goes dark. Like the ash is so thick that the, the light of the moon, the light of the stars, the light of the sun can't penetrate it. And the ash settles in the water and the sediment that's in the ash pollutes the water. Remember last week we talked about the water becomes rancid, it's wormwood, and they can't drink it. You remember all this? And it falls into the sea, and the, the sea is corrupted, and half of the sea creatures die. They wouldn't have been reading it and, and thinking anything else, but these are the words of John. This is the book of Revelation happening right before our eyes. All of the death. Think about the plague that comes in, in, in short order after the writing of Revolution, Revelation. And all of a sudden, 3,000 people a day in Rome are dying from the plague. They would have been applying the very words of revelation to their everyday circumstances. They wouldn't have been saying, someday it's going to get bad. And boy, when it gets bad, then Jesus is going to come. They would have been reading it and applying it in their current situation. So let's think about the persecuted church in China. Right now, there's a church that exists underground. The leaders of that church currently refer to the communist government as the red dragon. And they're referring to the red dragon of chapter 12. And they would say to their people, we are living right smack dab in the middle of the tribulation, the seven years. We are living this out right now in our context. They're not waiting for it to get bad and say, well, it's really getting bad now. Maybe Jesus is coming someday. They're living it. Now we have to ask the question, are they wrong? Was the first century church wrong in making that application? Is, is the underground church in China wrong when they make that application? And the answer is no. The, the sobering truth is we live in the end times. We live in the last days. Revelation is happening and has been happening before our very eyes. Now, the last trumpet hasn't blown and Jesus hasn't returned, but all of that, those other events are taking place and have been taking place for the last 2,000 years. The purpose of the letter of Revelation is to encourage the church of how to persevere, how to stand firm amidst oppression, amidst persecution how to resist the attacks of the enemy, something we'll talk a little bit more next week about. And one of the authors I read a couple weeks ago as I was studying uh, said, at its core, revelation is resistance theology. And I'd never heard that before, but I started thinking about that application. It's resistance theology. What do they mean? It is the theology telling the believers how to resist oppression. It's a picture how we are to stand firm when we are being attacked. 
And we would do well, especially as the American church, to read Revelation from the perspective of the oppressed and the persecuted church. They're not waiting for things to get bad. I've talked to so many of you since we started Revelation who were like, yeah, well, things are really tur- making a turn now. And so, so Revelation is starting to unfold. And I just want to encourage you, it's been bad for a long time in a lot of places, right? There are more martyrs now than there were in any other century in time. Okay, with all that in mind, I want you to grab your Bibles, your journals, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 10. Uh, it's page 36 if you're using your journals. I think we still have journals for sale. If you don't have one, you should still pick one up and use it for the second half of this series. If you're using the Bible under your seat, we're on page 1033. If you don't own a Bible, I encourage you to keep the one that's under your seat and use it. If you are listening online, thank you for joining us. If you need a Bible, you come by the church anytime that we're here, and we would love to give you a Bible. But my encouragement to you is have a Bible with you, have it open, take notes, underline, do all that. It will help you to navigate the scriptures. I've asked my son Robbie to come up and read the passage for us. So if you wouldn't mind standing as we read through all of chapter 10. Thank you, Robbie. This is Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for us to learn, to grow. Pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Thank you for the incredible privilege it is to stand on the stage with Ravi. And uh, just what a good blessing he's been to me. And it's a really cool thing. Thank you. Pray that you would just uh, move in the lives of each person here in this room, that we would leave different than we came, because we have encountered the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Ravi. So the assigned text um, for this 
Sunday is actually chapters 10 and 11, but for the sake of time, we just read chapter 10. So what I want to do with the time that I have is I want to give you the cliff notes for chapters 10 and 11. If you uh, want a homework assignment, my uh, suggestion to you would be to go and read chapter 10 and 11 in uh, kind of a timely sort of way from this message. And I think you'll find it makes a lot more sense post cliff note. So chapter 10, John is describing, uh, continuing to describe this vision that he has. And remember the vision of things that must take place, things that are going to take place. So there's a prophetic nature to the vision. In this vision, an enormous angel uh, descends upon the earth. He has one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, and in his hands, he's holding a tiny scroll. So I'm going to let you into my head just a little bit. I spent a lot of time this week trying to envision, was it really a tiny scroll? And how tiny could it be if a person so big they could stand on the land and the sea could hold it in their hand? So I'm visualizing if it's really tiny, like, anyway, that's... This is me studying in my office trying to figure out how tiny is the scroll. Not that it matters one bit. But anyway, he has a tiny scroll in his hands. And most scholars believe that this is the exact same scroll that is being described all the way back in the book of Daniel. So you don't have to look for it. It's going to come up on the screen. But in Daniel 12, uh, Daniel is being instructed. And it says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed. It's rolled up and sealed. Think about the seven seals and how we keep hearing about what a seal is. So it's written down, it's rolled up, and it's sealed until the time of the end. What time is the end? The second coming of Jesus. It's a little scroll. We know it's fairly little because John is told to eat it which is really kind of weird, kind of crazy. But here's the interesting thing. It's not the first time that a biblical character is told to eat a scroll. So we look at Ezekiel, and that's going to come up on the screen as well. You don't need to look there. Ezekiel 2, 8, and 9. But you, son of man, you, Ezekiel, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house, talking about Israel. He's being sent to prophesy against Israel. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Ezekiel is told to eat the scroll, and John is told to eat the scroll. But John is told something else about the scroll that's worth noting, and it's fascinating once we get into it. Look at verse 9. It says, So I went to the angel, and I told him, Give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And we're going to camp out right here for just a minute, because if we understand this verse, if we understand verse 9, it kind of unlocks the understanding of all of chapter 11. What does it mean to eat the scroll? It means to consume it, right? It means to take it in. It means to internalize it. It means to apply it. So you and I are called to read the Bible, but not just read the Bible, but to consume it, to understand it, to apply it, to even memorize parts of it, to make it part of our DNA. The word of God ought to be nourishment to your very being. You are to take it in, ingest the word of God. And so John is being told, take this scroll, read it, understand it, make it a part of who you are. You're going to eat this scroll, right? And, and, and there's this, this picture of, of him taking it in. And then here's the deal. When we digest the word of God, it is sweet, right? It, it is nourishing, 
And we read about the new heaven and the new earth. And there's a time that's coming when God is going to wipe away every tear. And there's no more sorrow. And, and it's going to be the Garden of Eden all over again. And we're going to be with Jesus arm in arm. And that's sweet. Right? It's beautiful. But when you understand all of the scriptures and you understand especially Revelation, there's also something very sobering. And while it's sweet for those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus, it's judgment for those who haven't. Right? If you have a classmate who doesn't know Jesus, if you have a workmate, a coworker who doesn't know Jesus, if you have a friend who doesn't know Jesus, if you have a family member who doesn't know Jesus, it's very sobering. Right? The revelation is, is, is great news for those of us who know Jesus, but it's not so good news for those who don't. The point is, what we do with Jesus determines eternity. And the more we know this truth, the more we digest the word of God, the more we internalize the book of Revelation, the more motivated and passionate we ought to be at sharing the good news with our friends and with our family members who are lost. Revelation is calling the church. Revelation is calling you to be Christ's witness. And this is the truth that sets up chapter 11. One of the authors that I read this week uh, said this. It said, some of the most debated material... And the whole book of Revelations is found in chapters 10 and 11. I always love it when I sit down to start my study, and this is what I read. I'm always like, oh, well, this will be a lot of fun, right? The most debated, and it's true. There's so much debate about, about what it's all about. So if, you, if in your Bible right now, if you looked at it, I think at the heading of chapter 11, it says the two witnesses. And there's all this debate about who the two witnesses are. Is it, is it Moses and, and Ezekiel? Is it the church and Jesus? Is it two uh, prophetic figures that are going to come in time? And, and there's all this debate, like, who is it? Who is it? But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't really matter. And while the debate is interesting, it doesn't change the application of the passage one bit. Because we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the two witnesses are models Listen, church, the two witnesses are models for all of the saints to imitate. We are called to be God's witness. Remember when I said two weeks ago, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are a saint. You may not feel like it. It may be difficult for you to wrap your brain around that idea, but we believe that all the, the priesthood of all believers, the sainthood of all believers, and as a priest and as a saint, your job is to take Jesus to a lost and dying world. Your job, your responsibility is to be a light in the darkness. You are Christ's witness. And the great news of chapter 11 is that we are not left to our own devices, we don't have to figure this out. We don't have to come up with the strategy. We don't have to come up with the energy. We don't even have to come up with the power it takes to share Christ. Look at verse 4, chapter 11, verse 4. It says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, we know from going all the way back to the beginning of Revelation that the lampstands represent the witness of Christ to the world. Right? Christ said, you are the light 
of the world. These churches, they are my light. But we also know in Revelation in the opening letters that he said, follow me with your whole heart. Give me everything or I will extinguish your lamp. You will no longer be able to represent Christ. If you don't follow him, you will no longer be the light that I've called you to be because I will put out the lamps. You and I are called to be light in the darkness. And I probably should have shared this with you the first week or so when we were talking about the letters. But when you see the word lampstands in uh, the book of Revelation, this is more what you should picture is these enormous menorahs. You know what a menorah is probably, but the, the, the seven candles. But if you see in this one, it has the oil lamps on top of it. And the idea of this is that, that this is what he was talking about. When he says lampstands, he's talking about these huge menorahs that would bring light to the temple, it would bring light, but it's bringing light to the world, right? And what the passage is saying about the two olive trees is, I will supply the fuel for the lights to burn. The olive tree are a continuous supply of oil that would go in the lamps for the lamps to burn. Jesus is supplying all of the power and the fuel we need to be Christ's witness. So as a follower of Jesus, chapter 11 is saying, you have everything you need to be my witness. And if you keep reading it, it gets a little bit concerning, right? Because it shows that the two witnesses are killed. And I use this uh, quotations because a lot of experts think that what it's saying is the two witnesses are silenced. Right, So whether they're killed or whether they're silenced, there's sort of a sobering picture here of, of the witnesses come under the persecution. But look at verse 11. In the end, God wins, right? Revelation 11, 11 says, but after three and a half days, remember, don't get literal on time. After three and a half days, a breath of life, God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw it. God wins every time. If Revelation tells us anything, that even in the darkest of hours, we can count on the fact that God wins. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, we need to remember the truth of Scripture that no weapon formed against you will prosper. The message is God's witness cannot be stopped. God's message of salvation will go out regardless of the opposition. As chapter 11 continues, the seventh trumpet blows. You guys are scared, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) The seventh trumpet blows, and Jesus comes in all of his glory. His kingdom comes in all of its fullness. The seals have been broken. The trumpets have blown. And look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever says the 24 elders that surround the throne. They, they go into another uh, stanza of worship. Look at what it says in verse 17. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was 
the praise of the elders has changed from the earlier chapters. Do you remember what they said before? They said, who was and is and is to come. But he's come. And now he was and he is, but he is come again in all of his glory. This is sweet news for those of us who know Jesus. But it also means the season, the opportunity, the time to repent is over. It's sweet and it's bitter. We live in the land between. We live between Jesus' first coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and his second coming. We live in the last days. And someday, it could be this afternoon, it could be tomorrow, it could be next week, the seventh trumpet is going to blow and the time for repentance is over. That truth ought to stir a passion in us to share the good news of Jesus at every opportunity. I had a chance this week to watch a video. I ended up watching it a few times. Every time I watched it, I cried. This is of my friend, Mike Lawler, who shares his faith uh, with a friend of his. And I just want you to see it. And I just love, uh, think about what I said. You are not left to your own devices. You don't have to figure this out on your own. God is with you as you are his witness. Let's watch this video. I've, uh, my, probably my biggest, uh, uh, I shared my faith with my best, uh, my best friend, Ron Perry. Uh, Ron had cancer. Him and I grew up, uh, we went to high school together. And uh, the guy knew football like nobody's, nobody else, man. He knew every football player, baseball player, hockey. Well, Ron started getting pretty bad off and uh, Ron was not a believer at the time. And his wife kept calling me up saying, Mike, you gotta get over there and talk to Ron. You gotta get over there and talk to Ron. So as a, as a believer, but this was my responsibility to, to, to share Jesus with him. So I finally went there with a friend of mine we went to the, the hospital, and uh, so we get there. We walk in the room. He's laying on the bed. He's not very responsive, and I'm thinking, dear Lord, did you know? Did I miss my opportunity? And I, I sat down, and all of a sudden, his eyes pop open, and and in my heart, I was just praying, you know, God, God, give me this chance. So his eyes popped open, and he looks up, and I walk over, and I say, Hey, Ron. He says, Hey, Mike. And he says, Who's this guy here? And I said, Oh, that's that's Danny. You know, Danny. And, so, you know, I, I could tell he was fully aware of what was going on, but at, the, at that moment, I really didn't know exactly what was going on in that room. And he kept telling me, he says, is there anybody in this room right now? I said, no, it's just us two. And he says, are you sure? And I said, yeah. I says, Ron, we're not playing a joke. I'm here to talk to you about your faith. So we started talking and uh, talking about some of the old times. And so I started sharing my faith with him and I started sharing the gospel with him. And uh, he says, well, you know, Mike, uh, you know, we did a lot of some, some bad stuff when we were younger. I said, yeah, I know. I was, I was with you in a lot of that bad stuff. But I told him, I said, Ron, man, I said, God will forgive you 
and he would cast those sins as far as the east is to the west if you just say yes to him. And he kind of kind of looked around, and he wasn't sure about it, and uh, all of a sudden, hospice walks in the room and says, you're going to have to leave the room. I said, oh, gosh, what timing is this? And they said, we're going to have to evaluate him. So I left out of the room. I went outside, and about a half hour later, they come back in, and I go back into the room. I, I shut the door, and I look at him. I says, okay, I'm going to pick up where we left off. He says, okay. He goes, but who's in the room? I said, Ron, there's nobody in the room. He said, are you sure? He goes, I, I think someone else is in the room. And uh, I had no, ex- no, no idea what was good, God was up to at the time. So I went over and I started sharing my faith with them, sharing the gospel with them. And uh, I told them all about Jesus. And I asked him, I said, hey, uh, uh, do you want to see, receive Jesus in your heart? He said, yeah, I want to do that. And... Uh, I said, well, why don't you pray after me? And we prayed together. And he looked up after after we had prayed. And he says, who's that standing at the end of my bed, Mike? I looked up. I says, Ron, I don't see anybody. He says, no, Mike, there's a man standing at the end of my bed. And right then, it hit me. I says, that's Jesus. <laughs> he's at the end of his bed. And he's watching me. And he looked around. You opened up his eyes. I said, Ron, you don't have to cry anymore. I said, your pain's going to be gone. I said, all this stuff you've been going through is going to be gone soon. And I said, you're going to live and live for eternal. And uh, he looked up and he said, where did all these people come from? And I looked around and I just thought of scriptures where it said that the heavenly hosts, and I just could have, would imagine that there was angels all in that room. And the whole time, Ron had seen and heard these angels and he's seen the living Christ. And uh, I walked I walked out of the room, but I got out of the hospital room, and I just fell to my knees. I was just so overwhelmed that it was almost like John in Revelations when John says, and I, John, I, John, he says that six times in Revelations. And I, I, I thought the same thing, that God just used me to, to lead my buddy Ron to Jesus. And unfortunately, the next morning, he went to be with the Lord at 9 o'clock the next morning. He had passed away. But, uh, wow, what a feeling that uh, God used me to lead him to, to, to Christ. We are called to be Christ's witness. As I thought about this this week, uh, I think uh, for many of us, many of you maybe, uh, you know what I'm saying is true, but you just don't feel equipped. Like, I'm just not sure how to do that. And by God's providence, uh, I had a meeting with uh, my friend Jerome Ferris, who's sitting right over here, and he asked me, probably two months ago, could I teach a class on witnessing? Can I teach a class. I've been doing this for other churches, and this is my church. Can I teach a class? And I was like, sure. I didn't know this was coming. Uh, I just, I didn't know how this was all going to come together. So starting the Tuesday after Easter, uh, we're going to have a class on sharing your faith. And it's really very practical, uh, very small uh, book that you can, that you'll go through together. But I encourage you to come. If that resonates with you, I know I'm supposed to be better at this. 
I know I'm supposed to share my faith with my classmates, with my coworkers, with my son, with my daughter, with my brother, my sister. But I'm just not sure how to do it. I think this is going to help. So I encourage you to come. You can stop at the uh, connection corner that's just up the steps and talk to DeKendry and get signed up. We charge for the book, but if you can't afford the book, just tell her and we'll pay for it. That's not really uh, the important thing, but we want you to be a part of it. We have a chance to make a difference by being Christ's witness, and I just encourage you, let's do it. Let's just do it. If you are here this morning and you've been hovering around this truth about Jesus, even as we've walked through this complicated book called Revelation, uh, I just encourage you to stop hovering and say yes. Like, just say yes. You, you know, my life is a mess without you, and I just need you to be my Lord and Savior. It's, it's really that simple to you, inviting Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If you, if you don't really know how to do that, just meet us down here after the service. We'll, we'll walk you through it, like Mike did with his friend Ron. And if you're in this room and you have wandered away from Jesus, wander back. He's waiting for you with his arms wide open. Just come on down and let us pray with you and pray for you. When they prayed for you this morning before the service, uh, one of the things they heard that there are some people who are just getting stressed out over the Easter holidays, family stress. And so if that resonates with you, we'd love to pray for you. If there's something else going on physically, spiritually, a little bit of both, uh, come on down. We have a wonderful group of people that are trained to pray with you down here. If you're online right now, there's two numbers on the screen. If you call either of those numbers, they'll put you in a private Zoom room so that you can uh, be prayed for. Uh, as you leave today, uh, the ushers have these little cards, which are just a simple invite card. Uh, maybe just pray. Lord, who do you want me to invite on Easter Sunday? A uh, very simple way to do it is just say, hey, I don't know if you know, but Easter's only two weeks away. I wonder if you would come with me and my family. Uh, the worst they could say is no, uh, but imagine if they said yes and you get a chance to uh, play a part in seeing them come into the kingdom. So invite cards are back there. Sign up for the class. If you're thinking about getting baptized, information counter. Come back next week as we get into chapter 12, and we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this series. Have a great week. Thank you.